We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I am your host for the day, Tim. You know me as Cranges McBasketball on Twitter. And today I am reacting to the Lakers' Game 5 loss in Memphis and looking ahead to Game 6 in L.A. on Friday. Big game. L.A. has three opportunities. Well, they had three opportunities to win one game. One of those is down the drain. Now They now have two chances to win one game. And really, you, you want to do it at home. You want to do it in front of the home fans not need to bring this to seven and close the series out early so that, well, not super early, but uh, as early as you possibly can so that you have as much time as possible to prepare for the next round and you can recuperate for for all of these recent games and looking ahead, LA only has one day off in between each. So for, you know, you want to rest those legs. You want to be ready for the next round, recuperate. AD, you know, we we know his hip was bothering him a little bit. Let's just take care of business and then be able to head into the next series a bit fresher. Uh, this game did not go the way we were hoping uh, based on... If you if you didn't watch the game, you just saw the Twitter reactions. You would have thought the team lost by 50 points. I saw everybody being called to be fired. Assistant coaches, head coach. Uh, you know, we don't want to resign these guys. We want to trade these guys. The front office, it's their fault. It's LeBron's fault. It's AD's fault. Darvin Ham single-handedly lost the game by playing Malik Beasley like four minutes in the first half. Like some wildly upset takes uh, for a fan base with a lot of people picking Lakers in seven or Lakers in six. You know, you have to lose two or three games to make that happen. <laughs> like we, I don't want, I, you know, I want the team to do well and win and, and moving move forward every round. Is every single loss along the way going to be a referendum on every individual on or around this team it's exhausting so i tried to stay away from that look at the film and so that'll be more of what i'm giving you here today and i have to say as emotional as it was in the moment and i was feeling that frustration as well after a rewatch after going through the film i feel better 
I feel better about what the team did last game. I feel better about some things they figured out in-game that they hurt them early, but they were able to piece together how to solve problems that they were presented with. So by the end of the game, they had solved the problems, and moving forward, I expect those problems to be solved. We saw that with rotations. We saw that with some of the X's and O's tactics stuff. So you lost this game, but they didn't, you know, wave the white flag and just punt the whole fourth quarter. They spent the fourth quarter going through some concepts, you know, still trying to come back and win. And they they cut the lead by a good bit, but Memphis had a fairly safe lead given the time remaining. But LA did take advantage of that time and was able to find some answers to things that had been plaguing them during the game. And so that makes me feel a little bit better. The shooting variance of this game makes me feel a little bit better. Uh, this ended up being a pretty similar game when it come when it came to performance on the offensive boards with turnovers, with fast break points, with second chance points. Memphis had an edge with points in the paint. They were hitting their threes better. At an individual level, Anthony Davis, he went off. He had 31 points. It was an efficient 31. Reeves added 17. Braun added 15. D'Lo added 11. Each with some not very good shooting from the field. They, they hit their free throws, but not very good shooting from the field. Uh, Vando, again, had his early point outburst, and that was pretty quiet. He played only 17 minutes. And when we look at his rotation map, it's, you know, normal first stint with the starters, and then the time around the end of the first half, being in the second half, and then he's done. And we see Rui's minutes, not too much in the first half, and then a bunch in the second half as he takes over for Vando. And maybe the, maybe the team should look into a little bit more balance there. But from a scoring standpoint, that's what we saw from LA. On the Memphis side, Desmond Bain had a great game, 33 points. Jaw had 31. Those two led the way for them. Jackson had 18 Looking at how he got those 18, there was a lot from putbacks and transitions, so that that boosted things a bit. He didn't. He yet again did not have an impressing impressive game from a post scoring standpoint. So that's not like if you're if you're looking at oh no we can't play Wendy Gabriel how's he going to guard Jaron Jackson Jr. in the post like I don't I don't know what you've what series you've been watching but Memphis has not dealt with any any degree of coherence. The Lakers sending any kind of post help. Doesn't matter. It, it, it's LeBron, Rui, AD. It hasn't really mattered. As long as the Lakers are sending help, that hasn't been a problem of a matchup. So I wouldn't be concerned about that. So from an individual standpoint, those are some of the, the names you probably score, saw scoring a bit more. Three-pointers this series will continue to be something to keep an eye out on, an eye out for uh, the Lakers' three-point edge by game. From a three-point percentage standpoint, they were plus seven in the first game. They won minus four the second game. They lost minus eight the third game, and they won plus seven in game four, and they won, and then minus nine this game. LA shot 26% on their threes. Memphis shot 35%. So from a result standpoint, Memphis with an okay performance. LA with a very, very poor performance. And when we look at the percentage of the three-pointers attempted for each of the teams among their D or F caliber three-point shot-making players, looking at our B-ball index metric, that accounts for shot quality. For the fifth game in a row, five out of five games this series, LA had a, a pretty good edge here. Uh, 60% of Memphis's threes came from bad three-point shooters. Their numbers have been 56, 58, 67, 60, and then 60. So this has been right on par for what they've been doing. It wasn't like they suddenly got much better threes for better players. They, I, I do think they got some higher quality threes, especially early in the game. But on the whole, LA was still pushing those attempts towards the worst players. If Memphis decides to 
start Luke Kennard, and we'll have to see. He had a shoulder stinger. I don't know if he'll be available tomorrow or how many minutes he would play or how well he would shoot. He will be a key piece here, Memphis, on the season. And in this series, when you take Brooks out of the starting group and you put Kennard in, there's so much more dynamic. Even if you put like Jones in and take Brooks out, they're much more dynamic. So keep an eye out for them trying to add more shooting. There have been a lot of possessions where the Lakers have been able to send help and stay home on the good shooters and then just force the bad shooters to shoot. If you keep the guys in that they need to send help on and you keep the good shooters in and then you add more good shooters and remove the bad shooters, that creates problems. Uh, there are only so many good shooters on Memphis's side to spread out throughout those lineups. So big picture through 48 minutes, I'm not as concerned, but they can throw out some pretty potent lineups and we saw them kind of, you know, pull Brooks out and, and put more shooting in for a stretch and it, it, it helped them. On the Lakers side, 21% of their threes were from those D or F caliber three-point shot makers. That is the lowest number for the season, or not the season, the game, uh, the series. They've been at 27, 23, 36, 31, and now 21. So about three times as higher proportion of Memphis's threes came from bad three-point shooters compared to LA. However, from a result standpoint, Memphis was plus nine from a percentage standpoint. So what do we do here? Stay the course. Process, process, process. If Memphis does start adjusting the lineups, you, you look at changing the tactics, but you're generating threes for guys you want to be shooting, and Memphis is mostly generating threes for guys they don't want to be shooting. And for most of the games this season, that proportion for them has been higher than what it normally is. So stay the course. Let David Roddy ch- jack threes. John Moran, if he's going to be shooting pull-up threes against undercoverage, he's been bad at those this season. He leads the NBA, or he led the le- NBA in the regular season in pull-up three-point shot quality. It's not like this is new and unique and much easier for him. He's just been overperforming a little bit. So keep doing what you're doing. To try to defend the rim a little bit better. The three-point battle probably won't be this bad again. This is the worst it's been for either team, the largest gap we've seen for either team in the series. If you flip the shot making on threes, LA wins by a bunch. Uh, that's not how the game quite works, but I don't see anything here that causes me to say, oh no, we need to blow it up and, and start over. When we look at the Lakers offense, though, there are some things that the team has opportunity to improve upon. If you look at their post and ISO offense, which is a big part of what they do, their, their offense is a lot of ball screens and then a lot of, we want to let our good guys like cook and they'll run off screen stuff, mostly as a distraction to let their good guys cook. And then, you know, when you still try to defend the post-ups with extra help or the ISOs with extra help, that's when Malik Beasley or whoever else is coming off those screens can get going. He did not have a very good game, by the way, was not hitting his threes. He got some pretty darn good ones for the first time this series. So that was disappointing to see uh, his downstretch continues. He ended up shooting two for six, so not not horrific. I know uh, a couple of those makes were, all those makes were towards the end of the game. And uh, <laughs> as the people on the stream like to say, the, the makes don't count. Uh, the misses do count in the garbage time, but the makes don't count, which whatever. But um, the ISO offense, the post offense, this is something that LA needs to get going. They had two points on four post-ups. Every single one of those post-ups, we saw help from Memphis come from the strong side from the post. Well, usually it was the entry passers. Man, if if, uh, if AD is at the left block, there's a guard at the left wing. Maybe he put the ball into the post. Maybe he didn't. But either way, his man would be the one helping down. They're coming on the dribble, not pre-catch. So AD can't just stand still, face up, let the guy walk towards him, read the floor, make a good play. They're waiting until AD puts the ball on the floor. And then they're coming. And a lot of times when AD puts the ball on the floor, he puts his back to the basket 
and that makes it harder for him to see the floor and attack the help. He did see the floor a couple times, and Ellie didn't really do a whole lot. Um, with the help they were sending, it wasn't that they had bodies in the middle of the paint. Memphis was putting bodies around the paint. So there was still that opportunity to cut to the middle of it, either down the middle from the top of the key, from the strong side, from that guy that's being held off of, from the weak side. We saw Rui do it once, and he got the ball, and he scored. Um, there was a play where, and, and that was on a Brown uh, short roll catch that was like at the block. It wasn't really a post-up, but it was the same situation, same look, same help came. Rui cut from the opposite wing, got a bucket. There was a play where Reeves got the ball on a short roll after a step-up pick and roll. And same situation, same help. This time we saw Wendy Gabriel, who was in the game, flash from the opposite dunker spot baseline, get in fully in front of the guy who was trying to cover him, got the bucket and won. Those are the types of things you want to see. You want to see cutting into the middle of the paint or those baseline dunker spot flashes. I want to see more of that as long as the paint is open. And then try to space out the best you can strong side. Maybe you just have that immediate kick out three if they're not bumping a defender over. So keep an eye out for that kick out three. If the paint is open, cut into it. If the paint is closed, meaning there are players like in it, you know, under the rim, in the dead center middle of the paint, that's when pin and flare screens are more effective. And the Lakers were setting pin and flare screens this game when the defense was around the paint, not in it. And that's just not the right counter. So they need to be a little bit smarter. That was the right counter a couple games ago, but it's not the right counter right now. Memphis has changed what they're doing. So we need to see an adjustment there. In terms of the ISO game, we saw LA not be too potent here. When they had perimeter isolations, Memphis, again, was shading them towards the help, uh, shading them towards the middle. That next perimeter guy was going to stunt over and help. And we saw strips and turnovers when the Lakers did drive. When they didn't drive, it means they're taking contested jumpers, contested pull-up jumpers. And they've got some superstars, but you want to be able to remove that help so the superstars can get to and score at the rim instead. And so the Lakers need to focus on creating gaps. This is something I talked about on the the uh, stream last night on Playback. This is also a, something I've spoken about. It's in less than one of the X's and O's series that I recorded. There's like 20 hours of content. If you sign up, for, uh, it's what is it, 10 bucks a month? You can sign up for a month, watch all the videos, and then cancel if you want to. Um, the BBI scheme team, or if you go through the, the Discord, uh, you can sign up at the, I think it's the courtside tier or any of the ones above that. So if you're, if you're interested in learning X's and O's, reach out and I'll send you the link and, and you can check that out. It's super cheap. You'll get a lot of great content. You'll understand. If if anything I'm saying is not familiar, you'll be able to get uh, an explainer on all of it and understand what I'm talking about. So check that out. When it comes to the gaps, uh, I explained it last night using some geometry. Uh, we were looking at acute versus right versus obtuse angles based on player positioning. I'm not going to try to explain that right now via audio but basically you want to look at if LeBron has the ball at the left wing where's the next closest offensive player if they're like 10-15 feet away from him their defender is in a spot where they can kind of sag off get into a driving lane in a position to strip the ball if LeBron tries to drive and then if LeBron tries to kick out they'll be able to recover if that player is spaced you know we'll say LeBron's at the left wing and the next closest player is at the right wing that is really far that they have to help off of that player because the driving lane for LeBron is still the same. It's still, He's still trying to take the same course. The help distance is just further. So the recovery is further. So the Lakers will be able to generate more threes. So spacing that out, either cutting that guy 
to somewhere else and opening that driving lane or using flare screens or like finding way double like double ball screens are a way to you know have guys doing something and engaging their defenders actively while opening gaps so I want to see the Lakers create more gaps this will be something I'm focusing on next game through that and through these help counters and the post-ups we will be able to see LeBron and AD be more dominant as 1v1 players the other big element of the Lakers offense is their ball screen offense and they've got a pretty big playbook. They attack hedging well. They attack drop decently. They attack switching well, but in certain ways. And when they attack switching, they do so through north-south step-up ball screens. So the screener then after the switch has his new defender on his back. And the Lakers player that's rolling is closer to the basket than his defender. And that opens up lobs. That opens up little dump-off pounces. Uh, bounce passes, getting the Lakers rollers the ball in a position where they can take one dribble and dunk or just dunk right away or hit a layup. And we saw this approach, which is what their playbook looks like. It, it works if you've got the right personnel there. That doesn't work if you've got a small lineup. It just doesn't work. It, the angles aren't as good. The size isn't as good. They're not lob threats. And we saw those lineups struggle against the switching that they're going to face. And they did face. And so that was a problem. But before I dig into that, zooming out big picture, the Lakers pick and roll points per scoring possession. So shots, turnovers, free throw trips, including the pick and roll ball handler, the roll man, any cuts and dump offs, any pass outs to shots. Game one, 1.11 points per possession. Solid. Game two, 0.66. Not good. They lost the game. Game three, one point per possession. That's solid. They won. Game four, 0.98 points per possession. That's decent. They won. Game five, 0.83 points per possession. Not good. They lost the game. The three games they've won, they've shot, they've, they've scored well in ball screens. The two games they've lost, they have been inefficient scoring at ball screens. If you look at the average games one through four, they were averaging on spot ups, 1.1 points per possession. This game, 0.68. So if we just assume, and, and this isn't a correct assumption because spot ups include, you know, you're standing on the perimeter, you catch Sometimes you shoot. Usually you, you just shoot. Sometimes you pump fake and you attack a closeout into a mid-range jumper. You get to the rim. You draw a foul. But if we just say that every spot up is a catch and shoot three through games one through four, 36.7% is what 1.1 points per possession translates to. The 0.68 game five number translates to 22.7% on threes. That's how crappy the Lakers were in spot up situations. And when they're not hitting shots, and we saw nobody hitting shots. LeBron was breaking things. Beasley was breaking things. Lots of guys were not hitting their threes. They could have had an extra 10, 12 points or so if they just shot like the way they did earlier in the season or early in the series this game. And their quality was even higher than that. So they've been underperforming. It was really, really bad this game, but I don't expect that to continue. That's a really low number. That's not something they generally do. So that should be better. Doing the same things, you should get better results. But in terms of what did work, what didn't work, um, the ball screens that had AD involved or Gabriel involved as rollers worked pretty well. There were times where they'd have like uh, AD setting the screen on a ball screen and then he was either Vando or Rui hanging out in one dunker spot, two shooters spaced out in the corners, and then Rui or Gabriel, I'm sorry, Rui or Vando would run from dunker spot to dunker spot to vacate a lane for AD to roll. He'd catch, finish at the rim. 
we saw Reeves get pull-up threes due to AD's roll gravity keeping Memphis from switching. They had to play drop. They had to stay in front of AD. If you don't, LA's going to have lobs. And LA's missed like five or six dunks this series on plays where Memphis didn't keep the right depth defending AD as a roll man. They've learned their lesson, even though the Lakers didn't get the points for those. And when AD's rolling, they're staying deep on him. And it's opening up more of the short roll. Um, they're trying to take that lob away. And that also is going to open up these pull-up threes and the mid-range shots, which we saw D'Lo and Reeves do a good job with. And with that defend dropping defender, you know, really dropping, we saw all three of Schroeder, Reeves, and D'Lo do a good job of getting their defender on their back, putting them in jail, so to say, and taking their time and getting good shots up close to the rim or finding AD when a window becomes available. It's not always available right away, but if you can elongate the 2v1 advantage, you're going to find something that's available. We saw the Lakers use exit screens, opening space when they ran ball screens. We saw ram action ball screens with Vando to prevent hedging. Um, the AD pick and pop, I didn't like it, didn't work. Don't want to see that. We saw, what else? Oh, there was a fun play. The Lakers ran out of their rip series, that that rip play. So a back screen for AD to post up. Once he got the ball, the entry guy cut off of him on what we'd call a Laker cut. Didn't get it, but it was a good, you know, good scoring action. And then as that was happening, we saw the uh, down screen up the middle of the court, kind of like a gut action for Reeves. He caught it. He wasn't quite comfortable with the three, would have been contested. The Lakers attacked the advantage, generated a Rui corner three that was made. I like this set. It was basically the Lakers cross screen into the the ball into the post up with the Laker cut screen the screener action. They just set it up differently, but it was the same same scoring actions just from a different setup. So I liked it. I'd like to see more of that. That's something I'd been calling for to see. So I'm glad we got to see it. Another tweak we saw from LA with their ball screen attack, which directly disadvantaged Rui Hachimura, uh, advantage more of the guys who have been better shooters on the season as a whole is when they, Memphis, we know Memphis likes to stunt. They like to help uh, on middle drives. The player you stick in the opposite wing position, how good of a three-point shooter they are matters because that's going to be the guy that's usually wide open and or, or shooting over a light contest. So we saw more of Troy Brown there, Malik Beasley there, Reeves there, D'Lo there, Braun in that spot, and Rui standing in the corner. Whereas earlier in the series, we had seen a lot more of Rui standing in that spot and this has been the primary form of offense for him this series is stand at the wing, watch the team run a ball screen at the other wing, catch and shoot an open three. And he's vastly overperformed what we would expect from him. He was an F three-point shot maker on the season. He's underperforming his shot quality. He's shot really well so far this series. He shot, what, one for four this game. He didn't shoot great last game. Like, he's fallen back down to earth. He's not that good of a shooter. Um but rather than trying to bet on that guy continuing to you know, overperform by an incredible degree, the Lakers have instead stuck better three-point shooters there, understanding that Memphis still wants to send that help and they can burn it at a better rate. Didn't quite happen in this game, but they got better players, better shots. I think that'll pay off. That's a small tweak that I didn't notice watching live that I saw on film that I think will pay off moving forward at a team level, not at a Rui level. And... Uh, so that's something to keep an eye out an eye out for those players. Also, you know, if they're more respected th- shooters, the defense may be less likely to help off of them, which creates those double gap situations like I was talking about earlier. So this should set up ISOs and ball screen drives much better just based on tweaking where the positioning's 
it ends up being. So that's what I was seeing that was working. The small ball pick and rolls weren't working. We're going to talk about that later. But I'm going to take a quick break, drink a sip of water here. We'll throw an ad in on the pod. And then let's dig into the Lakers defense and then the rotations. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com All right, so we're back. Lakers defense in this game. Uh, Memphis figured some stuff out. They had a really solid game in a number of areas in addition to hitting threes at a high rate. We saw them be more effective with their isolation offense. John Morant scored 11 ISO points in five isolations. Uh, I'm sorry, he scored 11 ISO points in this game. Over the other four games of the series, he had five total isolation points. And so what happened? How did they get him going? There were a couple things. We saw one play where he just didn't help. Uh, he, he didn't rotate. We saw one play, AD's rotation was late. So that's, you know, more clean, clean your own shit up, Lakers stuff. Uh, we saw one play where Memphis was drawing AD away from the rim by using a pin down as kind of a decoy action during the ISO. And that took AD away from the rim and resulted in, in a good look. And then there were three times we saw Xavier Tillman start in the dunker spot and then time up perfectly as Ja was about to make his move or as he was making his move, Tillman would seal AD in the paint. He would just kind of almost try to post up in front of him, but just seal him off just enough and get into his body that when Ja was able to get by, we saw him get by Vando, we saw him get by Schroeder. It didn't seem to matter. Uh, D'Lo, when he was able to get by those guys, and he's 
he's been getting by those guys on the C- series. It's just that AD's always been in position. Tillman on these three plays was sealing AD and did not allow him to execute that help. And so that removed the rim protection just by basically screening him. And that resulted, I think, all three times they got a bucket. So they, they ended up scoring 1.4 points per possession on their isolations for the game. Not just Josh, just in general. That's really darn good. And so that's going to be a problem. I think the Lakers need to look more into having AD pre-rotate a bit. Like, be under the rim, be in the middle of the paint, and be uh, what we call 2.9-ing, where you, you can't get a defensive three seconds. So every, you know, you, you want to be in there long enough where you're at 2.9 and then quickly get out and then get right back in. Or if the offensive player is there, you know, get, touch them, ta- you know, refresh your 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 count. So stand there, take a step over, touch Tillman, get back to the middle. We saw AD more, like if Tillman was in the dunker spot, AD was like right next to him in the dunker spot. So just pre-rotate a little bit. And I think that'll set AD up much better to be a more active rim protector because that was a problem in this game. And that opened up an area of Memphis's offense that through the first four games was dormant. And I see this as fixable. I would imagine the Lakers are, I hope the Lakers are seeing the same thing I'm seeing. And hopefully that'll clean up for next game. Memphis's pick and roll attack. Also something that uh, if you look at how they've done each game, just like the Lakers pick and roll attack, the games they've won, they've, they've done well in ball screens. 0.83 points per possession game one, not very good. They lost. 0.97 in game two, they won. This was the game where Bain's ball screens were really kicking butt. The Lakers kind of fixed it. They were, were hedging. They kind of fixed it in game. Game three, 0.61 points per possession. Horrible. Uh, game four, 0.82, and it probably should have been higher. Uh, and then this game, nine. So the two game, the two games in the series that they've had 0.9 points per possession or higher on ball screens, they've won. The other three, they've been horrific, and they have lost. And just like with earlier games in the series, so game two, what got their offensive ball screen attack going? Jaw wasn't even in that game. It was Desmond Bain ball screens against the Lakers trying to hedge, putting two guys at the level of the screen um, or even above the level of the screen and giving Memphis a numbers advantage to attack with short rolls. Tillman's great score, great passer out of short rolls. Jackson did a decent job out of short rolls. And they've got shooters. And when you rotate, like when you have when you execute this sort of defense, you have to rotate. You have to defend the rim first. I don't care how good a shooter it is. And that results in some good threes. You'd rather give up an open three than a guaranteed two. And we saw that happen. This is how Memphis was generating some good threes. So that from game two, we saw happen in this game. What happened in game four that was concerning was Memphis, for the first time all series, started realizing that they could use drop beating concepts. They were running stack action. They were getting some other good things going that attack exactly what LA's using to defend jaw ball screens and Jones ball screens and Brooks ball screens, which is that stat, which is that a uh, high drop. And so Memphis was using their stack or you, same thing as a Spain pick and roll different variants of that. Well, actually the same variant every time to attack that. So those were what we saw them do. And then they also leaned more heavily on whenever Rui or Braun is defending Tillman in a ball screen we're gonna we're gonna involve them. We're gonna get them going. Like if Jacks if AD's on Jackson, space Jackson out, and then bring Tillman up to set the ball screen. And we want to get LeBron or Rui needing to play drop coverage or something. So in the first quarter, we saw LeBron dropping, which was not good. It was attacked. It was decimated. 
We saw drop coverage against Desmond Bain, which works well last game. It worked well many of the other games of the series. But this first quarter, he hit some threes. And that took the Lakers out of this. In the second quarter, we saw them take a step forward with LeBron ball screens when he was the screener defender. And he started switching and it worked better. But we saw a step back in terms of defending Desmond Bain ball screens because the Lakers were showing and recovering, again, giving up that numbers advantage that Memphis did a good job attacking. Third quarter was a show and recover show. That was bad. Fourth quarter, we saw drop with AD. We saw switching with Rui or Braun. We saw Memphis score a whopping zero points per possession on their ball screens. So by the fourth quarter, they got to the right answer. With the LeBron or Rui in the action, they started poor and they figured it out. With the Bane ball screens, they started right, got kind of scared out of the coverage because he hit a couple threes, and then moved in the wrong direction and got destroyed Q2 and Q3, and then figured out the right answer and went back to it by Q4. Overall, uh, Dylan Brooks ball screens, 0.38 points per possession, absolutely horrific. Uh, Tyus Jones, 0.75, really bad. John Morant, 1.11, or 1. I'm sorry, 1.08, sorry, 1.08. Decent, not going to kill you, but okay. That's pretty good. Desmond Bain, though, 0.5 per possession. That's so bad as a defense. So, the it, like, if Baines were poor and Jones and Brooks were poor, but Jaw was at, like, around 1, one points per possession, overall, you're fine. But Jaw being decent with these, like, pretty solid, about 1.1, Bain at 1.5, that's, that's going to kill you. And it did. So, what do we do? We uh, need to continue running that high drop with AD and Gabriel with LeBron or Rui switch. Um, you got to mix some trapping in. I think you want to avoid showing and recovering no matter who's in that ball screen. Make Desmond Bain have to hit pull-up threes to beat you uh, and mass against high drop, not deep drop. Like you want to be able to contest them still. And Ellie's been pretty good with that. So, you know, play the numbers. Keep your guys in positions where you know they're good. Ellie's not a very good scramble and recover team. So show and recover doesn't work well for them in general. And... When the team gets tired, it turns more into like a show and then watch and see what happens, which is not a good way to defend. Show and recover can work when you're executing on a string and everybody's doing their job and you're giving up a numbers advantage for like two seconds or a second and a half. LA was giving it up for longer than that because they were taking too long to recover. And that's a problem. So stick with the drop, switch with the, with the guys that shouldn't be in drop. And I think you'll be okay. We saw some other smart concepts from Memphis. Uh, when they were running double drag, they'd have the second screen lower than the first one, which if you're going under, puts the second screen more in your way. It doesn't, if both of those screens are at the same level, when you go under, you can just run in a straight line and meet them on the other side. That made it so you kind of had to navigate two separate screens. That was smart. We saw double drags shallow where that second screener, rather than setting a screen, let's say this is starting at the right wing, going towards the middle with the ball handler, the screener who's starting more in the middle of the court, he'd run the opposite direction of the ball handler. And that was AD's man. And that would take AD a step or two out of position to defend well and drop. So little concepts like that, you just need to be ready for. You could still, I think you could still do the same thing. And then just help off the non-shooters from the perimeter if you need to, to tag. Uh, something we saw work well from Memphis was that stack or Spain pick and roll. Scored a point and a half per possession on this. Very good. That's going to win you ball games. But the Lakers cleaned up their defense on this in the second half. Uh, first play, and, and actually they, they showed this last game. Last game they did this and it and it worked pretty well. Um, 
first time Memphis ran this, LA had the right idea with a guard-guard switch, but Reeves was late on his switch, and it resulted in a Tyus Jones made three. The next play, they ran it with Ja as the screener, which is abnormal, but he's enough of a lob threat. <laughs> he got the lob here, scored the bucket and won, that uh, I think LA just didn't identify it. But then in the second half, saw it again, ran the guard-guard switch, played it perfectly, and there was a missed, just wild shot at the rim. Fantastic. Third, uh, The fourth time this was run, there was more of a three-man switch, and it resulted in a turnover from Memphis. So... Scored on it the first two times, didn't score on it the next two times. Overall, not a good efficiency for the defense, but I'm seeing that LA knows what to do against it, and I think that'll carry over. So that makes me feel better about moving forward. I don't expect us to score point and a half per possession moving forward. We also saw Memphis put D'Lo in actions a lot, uh, him trying to show and recover. If he switched, they look to attack that. And you just need to keep AD around the rim and, and be in position to defend uh if AD can't and you're showing and recovering, again, you're giving up that numbers advantage and that that's a problem for the Lakers defense. They got away with it sometimes, but Memphis ended up doing pretty well against it. Memphis's off-screen game got going pretty well this, this game. Uh, Desmond Bain specifically, he had nine scoring possessions, scored a point and a half per possession. Ellie was chasing over the top. They were in a drop against his plays. Memphis was just running a bunch of different plays. It wasn't the same thing over and over. It was a couple out-of-bounds plays, the first play of a game. There were a couple times where he would set a screen for a teammate. Then that teammate would kind of curl around and then set a screen for him. So it was there was some misdirection. Where you can, I want to be top-locking these. We've seen this at points in time during the series, but not consistently. I want to be top locking and playing drop instead of chasing and playing drop. But this isn't something that's been getting other players going. And the threes that it's giving up are generally contested movement threes. And so do what you can to play this 2v2. Don't be giving up numbers advantages from it. I think it'll be in decent shape. Memphis's post offense, quick note, they had two points on three possessions. Uh, Rui and LeBron, they were, they were guarding Jackson. Didn't matter. LA sends help. They don't have a game plan against it. They were, LA was fine. So... This was yet another game in a row where both post offenses did not do a good job of countering the post defense they were facing. And I'm, you know, you want to adjust. Whoever adjusts first is going to gain that advantage on their end of the court. Looking also at the Lakers defense, uh, Memphis did a good job drawing AD away from the rim for the second game in a row. And to a, to a concerning degree, AD contested six shots at the rim this game. His second lowest of the series. Memphis shot 33% against him. They were two for six. Their, their expected field goal percentage against him was the highest of any game in the series. He was in worse positions trying to defend at the rim. That's telling. And the, I mean, he was super disruptive. He, he, held, he held Memphis like 32.8% below expectations on shooting at the rim. Crazy stuff. So good. But he only contested 27.3% of shots that were taken at the rim. And this was a mix of the stack action. This was a mix of the ceiling on isolations. This was a mix of that one pin down play that drawed him away during an ISO. The exit screen play kind of pulled him away. So Memphis, through a number of different actions, was able to, even though AD for the most part was on smart matchups that made sense to keep him around the rim, Memphis utilized little concepts to try to take him away, and they did a pretty good job with that. So that's that's problematic. That needs to be cleaned up. Um, I talked about defending the stack. I talked about defending the seals. The pin down, I think you just try to play that 1v2 and, and chase around and keep AD defending the rim. Same thing with the exit screens. 
if you communicate, you know it's coming, you should be able to do a decent job against that. And, you know, if they're going to hit threes over you, they hit threes over you. Something that I am more concerned about that needs a little bit more attention is boxing out. Memphis has put back points this series. Game one, two, then four, then eight, then 10. In this game, they had 12 points on putbacks. That's not good. Um, Dennis Schroeder boxed out pretty well. He's tiny. Troy Brown boxed out pretty well. Malik Beasley boxed out pretty well. D'Lo boxed out pretty well, actually. Wendy Gabriel boxed out well. AD, Reeves, and LeBron were not boxing out. Rui was kind of half and half. You need to box out, especially with those bigger players that are around the rim more. You need to be able to get a body on somebody. There were way too many plays where LA had three or four players staring at the rim, and then Jackson or Tillman from the perimeter were just able to walk in front of the Lakers players and then get a rebound. That's unexcusable. That cannot happen. And this is something that is very easy to clean up. This is something, if you look around the league, watching the the Kings-Warriors game after this game, both teams were boxing out pretty well. This is very easy to do. It's not hard. The technique is not hard. It is about discretionary effort. It is about holding players accountable. And I see superstar players boxing out. Like, you can do this. I promise you, you can do this. I've been on teams where this was a problem for us. So we started tracking it. And we had people in the film room logging. What is the, the percentage of the time that you should be boxing out that you are boxing out? And sometimes that means putting a body on somebody. Sometimes that means, you know, your guys at the three-point line, shot goes up, you look at him. If he crashes, then you got to put a body on him. But if he retreats, you don't need to box out. You've, you've looked, you've done your job. And when we tracked it more, the team bet, did better. When we posted the numbers publicly in the locker room, this is how often everybody's boxing out. People are like, oh shit, you're boxing out 20% of the time, 30% of the time, what are you doing? Um, if, you, if the team understands why it's important, and you have transparency around how well the players are doing, they want to take pride in that. They know it matters. They want to do better. It's very much just purely an effort thing. It's not a skilled thing. It's not like it's purely effort, especially because you're tracking it as effort. It's not successful box out. It's did you actually try to box out the right way? Not a, not a BS, you know, kind of, but not really. Did you actually try to box out? You're not going to always get the board or always, you know, be successful with it, but are you trying? And when we tracked it, it got better. I've told this story many times. And then we, the first time this happened, we were like, oh, great. We're doing great. We don't have to pay as much attention to this anymore. We stopped having coaches, you know, hound players from the bench during games and in practice and scrimmages. And then the numbers went down. And so it's very much like if you track it, it gets better. It's very elastic in that way. So there's some, there's some Hawthorne effect, there, I guess, as well. Like if they know you're tracking it, they know it's being watched and it matters to you. It should be able to get better. Um, something to keep an eye out for. We need to see a better job from that. It is inexcusable for the team to allow this many offensive rebounds. And it's just an issue that's been getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So I'm going to take one more break. And then we're going to talk about the Lakers rotationally playing small versus playing big. All right, so we're back. A key element of this game, key, key element, if you wanted to pick one thing and say, this is why the Lakers lost. I think you can point at this three-point shooting. I think you can point at the each pick-and-roll offense, Memphis having a fantastic day, LA having an awful day. That's not what people are going to point at. And, and, and I think what they are pointing at is it's fair. It's valid. And I, I you know share that with them. 
the Lakers playing small, which has been an issue all series long. We've talked about it on the pod, on streams and tweets and playback. This isn't new. This isn't me saying, oh, well, we lost. Therefore, this is a problem. No, it's it's been a problem. I'm saying it get more attention because the team did lose, but it's been a problem. When the Lakers sit Anthony Davis and they've got LeBron and Rui and Reeves and Schroeder and like Beasley or Brown, like, but, but the, your front court does not have AD, does not have Gabriel, does not have Bamba. You don't have size. And defensively, this hurts you from a rebounding standpoint. It hurts you from a rim protection standpoint. Offensively, this hurts you in different ways. Earlier, I talked about how the Lakers pick and roll offense against switching is attacking switching through inside positioning on ball screens and seals and lobs. When you don't have big bodies, that that's not effective. That doesn't work well. And we saw this very much play out in this game. I went through every play with the Lakers playing small and then with the Lakers playing with Gabriel. And it's super obvious what was working and what wasn't working. And that makes me encouraged a little bit because I think LA is going to figure this out. But looking at the scoreboard, when AD, here's, here's when AD sat. At the end of the first quarter, he sat for three minutes and 19 seconds. Memphis won and went on a 13 to four run. AD sat again uh, to start the second quarter. So this is his same same time taking a break uh, for three minutes and 21 seconds to start the second quarter with winning Gabriel in. So the first 13-4 run, Ellie was small. They put Gabriel in for this stretch. They lost 5-4 to four to Memphis. So, you know, they about held their ground. Towards the end of the third quarter, not at the end, but towards the end, once Ellie cut the lead to, or the deficit, I should say, to one, they sat AD. I don't have a problem with them sitting AD at this moment. I don't think if you would have just pushed him through until you were up three or four, or maybe, maybe, you you know, he's tired and you start losing and you're down five instead, or maybe he plays an extra five minutes and you're still down one. Like, I don't think the scoreboard should dictate whether or not this guy sits. It's the third quarter. You've got to rest him. He needs, he needs to rest at some point. He took a rest. He came back in about 90 seconds later. So he, he was out for 89 seconds. Towards the end of the third quarter, LA went small. They did not have Gabriel in the game. They were outscored 7-0. To start the fourth quarter, AD was out again for 2 minutes, 43 seconds. Gabriel was in. LA was down 7-6. to six. So in 6 minutes and 4 seconds with Gabriel, Memphis won those minutes 12-10. to 10. Process-wise, we're going to talk about that. That's really what I would like to focus on. It aligns with this. In the 4 minutes and 48 seconds, LA was playing small. So less time they were small than playing with Gabriel. They're outscored 20 to four. Insane. And, 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 you know, Memphis, I think Memphis's lineups when LA was small were better, but that doesn't change why this group was less successful and why offensively they couldn't get things going and why defensively they were struggling. So for this game, 56% of AD's minutes when he was sitting, and, and this is not counting when the benches were emptied. I'm not counting garbage time, Gabriel minutes. This is, this is before the benches emptied. 56% of the time AD sat, LA had Gabriel in the game and they just about held their ground. And I think, you know, over the course of the series, if when AD's in, you should do well and LA has done well when he's out rather than getting decimated. If you're just slightly losing, that is a winning strategy. You can't win every minute of every game, but if you can hold your ground with a star sitting and win with AD in, you're going to be in great shape. The other less than five minutes, LA was decimated. So they need to close that gap. And they've gone to from like zero to 56% of these minutes. I need that 56 to be 100. 
it's going to re- you know require Wendy Gabriel to play 10 minutes. Like he can do this. 8 minutes. I don't whatever, you know, 48 minus let's say 80 plays 40, that's 8 minutes we need from Wendy Gabriel. Between the, you know, end of the first, beginning of the second and then same sort of deal at the end of the third, beginning of the fourth. He can do that. The LA will be set up better. And Darvin Ham post game had a quote explaining why they wanted Wenyan to come in, what they saw, and he was right. So I think they've seen this. I think they've learned their lesson. And now we just need to get this to 100%. I think it's the film is too obvious that they will see this. I'm not worried that this is something super tricky that they're not going to find. I'm, you know, I'm a little bit, I'm more worried that they're not going to see the Xavier Tillman seals that unlock the ISO from Memphis. I think they'll probably still see it, but they should see it. I, I think they should see it, but this they have to see. This is too obvious. And so I think this is some, I have confidence that they'll fix this. And throughout the course of the series, there's been a lot of adjusting. I understand for many, many people, adjustments are just rotational. It's lineup based. It's not when the tactics of the game aren't something that you're focusing on or seeing whether or not LA adjusted or not is, is you interpreting whether or not you thought the team changed this rotation in game to play the way you wanted them to play. This guy went 0 for 3 to start the game. Pull him. Put this other guy instead. Uh, that sort of stuff. When I see people complain about all the adjustments Darvin Ham didn't make, it's, it's usually lineup based. And... I think, you know, one, some of that's a little ridiculous. Some of some of the demands are, you know, you okay, build a 48-minute lineup map and build me a lineup that actually makes sense. Most people don't or won't do that. And the ones who do, many of them, most of them, I'm like, all right, well, this won't work, obviously. Like, here, here's six problems with what you just put together. So if you want to criticize Darvin Ham, go put, I, I created a Lakers rotation tool. Go put together a lineup. Go show me the, the rotation map that you think is going to be better than this. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm just saying this is hard. And it's something that's criticized by everybody all the time for every coach. And it's hard. It's tough. Like playing realistic minutes for your players, having them play realistic since where they're not playing 20 minutes in a row and having the right combos. Like it, it truly is challenging. It's very hard. But there is opportunity to do better. And I think they're going to see that. And I think they will do better. When we look at the film, about what what did the defense look like when the Lakers played bigger with Gabriel versus with with Rui and LeBron as their fives? When Rui was more in the low man helper position as that like five man, him and LeBron, I saw him overhelp poorly on one play. He didn't tag a roll man on a play. There were two times there was a drive from the perimeter that Rui just did not rotate as the low man weak side. Four horrific mistakes during the small ball lineups that resulted in four buckets. Not good. It's just, he's not as good at that. He's not as big. He doesn't have the same instincts. If you put Gabriel in and you keep Rui in and LeBron's in there, like you've got more collective size and you've got three guys that can do some of this rotating. But Rui individually made some mistakes that were frustrating to me and made that small ball lineup play even worse than it potentially could have if he was more on his game. Looking at Gabriel's defensive minutes and those those lineups without AD, we saw him pick Jaron Jackson Jr.'s pocket for a steal. I think Reeves was the one who picked it up, so I don't know who they actually gave the steal to, but Gabriel was the one deflecting it away from him on ball. We saw him soft hedge and recover on Desmond Bain and contain him. We saw him play some great post defense on Jackson and force a real tough shot and a miss. Um, in drop, we saw him break up a lob to Jackson. In switching, though, there was one uh, Bain drive that he deterred. 
there was another one that he kind of deterred and hung with them and then forced to pass out after Beasley rotated. And then there were two times that Bain did, in a switch, drive to the rim and there was no help rotation. And one of them was a Beasley missed help. The other one was a Rui missed help. And those two times, Bain finished over a heavy contest. So those that was the bad. There was a good bit of good, though. Post-defense, hedging, in-drop, on-ball defense, you know, picking Jackson's pocket. The switching was, there was some good and some bad with it. People are going to focus on the bad. I understand it. But you got to look more holistically. So defensively, I, I thought he did well in drop. I thought he did well hedging. Um, I thought he did decently switching. When you have switching plus rotating behind it, as we saw sometimes, you know, him giving up a half-step advantage doesn't result in a bucket because his, his, the rest of the, the other four players on the court are playing their, you know, they're doing their job. They're playing defense. If it's, we're going to play 1v1 now, yeah, he's going to have a problem. The same way that if the Lakers were playing 1v1 and forcing players to stay in front of Jaw, like Vano's getting burnt, Schroeder's getting burnt, Dio's getting burnt. Like it doesn't, it, these skilled offensive players will generate advantages. So you need to play team defense regardless of if you're playing big or small or whatever it is. On offense though, I saw a big difference. With the small ball lineup, we saw Horns Flair play, Beasley was open on a three, LeBron passed way late, and it ended up being a contested three instead of an open one, he missed it. We saw that uh, step up pick and roll for Brown in the short roll that was doubled, the Rui cut, he got a layup off of that. But then we saw a lot of ISO, we saw LeBron missed contested three after an ISO. We saw LeBron missed contested three after Rui was doubled in the post and LA didn't run a help beater. We saw an, uh, a LeBron ISO missed contested layup over like three guys to end the first quarter. We saw Rui miss a mid-ranger after a Rui ISO that had nothing going, swung the ball around to a bunch of different players. It got back to him, late clock, forced something up. Bad offense. In ball screens, we saw switching just kill the Lakers sets. And then also there were no seal or lob options. So there was just nothing going on here. Reeves, Rui, pick and roll, switched after the first screen. It was kind of a double drag, Chicago kind of action. Um, missed mid-ranger. We saw a double drag with a pin and switched. Nothing going on. Um, we saw Reeves miss a contested three after a double drag was switched and the play didn't work. Like three plays where it's, oh, what they're doing to defend this does not work and we don't have the right personnel to beat it. Same thing with, with the ISOs. Ellie was not able to get any help beaters with size to flash to the middle of the paint and, and make themselves available. The small guys just weren't not, they were not cutting it. Rui had one play. He scored. It probably should have been an offensive foul with how he extended his arm on Aldama, but he scored. We'll take it. When we look at the Gabriel lineups, we saw with Gabriel in as a roller, they need to play drop against him. They weren't switching in this play. Uh, snap, double drag play. Reeves got an open pull up three. Wide open, drilled it. We saw um, Reeves miss a mid-range shot at the free throw line that Gabriel had a put back chance on. Didn't go in. We saw another offensive rebound by Gabriel later in the game that resulted in a wide open three. So on the boards, he was having an impact, which is not something we've seen from these small lineups. We saw uh, a step up pick and roll for Reeves to catch in the short roll result in same similar situation as, as the Brown one earlier. This time Gabriel flashed from the baseline, got the bucket and won. He's a big body. He's able to actually make himself available in the middle of the paint and then finish. Uh, there was a play, the, the defense did switch a ball screen. Gabriel got a lob from LeBron and he missed at the rim, but it was a great look and the type of offense that the Lakers playbook, that, that's how the Lakers attack switching. And so that was encouraging to see. 
we saw a horns elbow kind of pitch play into a Rui Gabriel pick and roll where Rui had Wenyan with inside position would have been open, but he forced forced up a contested three instead. That was frustrating, but you know you see why it's working. The you know the, he was open. Um, pick and roll sets were working because a switch equal to seal and a lob. They had a real chance to beat post or ISO help with a big body to flash the paint, and they were getting offensive rebounds. So, like, all of the process elements in just a couple minutes, you only put, like, five, six minutes, they were all there, and that's encouraging, and I think the Lakers will see that, and they'll make that adjustment. If the Lakers put Bamba in the game instead, I think you're going to see similar things on defense. I think he's a bigger body. He'll rebound better than the smaller groups. He's going to struggle in switching. He's going to get burnt there. Hedging, he's not quite as good as Gabriel, for my opinion, and a drop, probably similar results on offense you don't get that slip seal advantage. He's not been a good role man. He's not that kind of player. He's a big player. He's got long arms. It hasn't materialized. He's not a brand new rookie that we we haven't we don't have film on. We've got a lot of film on this guy. We know what he is. We know what he isn't. He's a good spacer. If Memphis were playing drop coverage, yeah, use him as a use him as a pick and pop guy. They're not though. They're swishing. Um, and. If they are playing drop, it's because of, of roll threats. If they're not worried about a, a lob threat, they're just switching these actions. They can start, they can stick John Conchar, Luke Kennard, they can stick anybody on Mobamba. And then if he tries to post up, he's not a very good post player, they'll send help as they've been sending help. And Lakers haven't been good at beating help. So offensively, so defensively, he'd provide similar value to Gabriel. You could argue better. This year, Gabriel's been a better rim protector. Just look at the numbers. He's been a better rim protector. He's he's disrupted shots better. Similar defensive rebounding skill. Um, Offensively, though, very different skill sets that are useful in very different situations. And with the tactics at play, having a guy that's your your help beater outlet, having a guy who's your switch beater outlet, and having a guy who's going to win on the offensive boards, especially against a team that's switching, that matters. That's important. And... That is why winning Gabriel makes more sense. So next series, it might make more sense for for Bamba to be the guy. But right now, with what's taking place, I think you have to lean more into winning skill set. So that's what I've got. I think there's plenty for the Lakers to clean up. There's still areas they have advantages, but we saw some things go against them. We saw some variance things go against them. It was there was a perfect storm of. Memphis's three-point shots falling. The Lakers' three-point shots not falling. Um, Memphis finding some advantages with the ISO game that LA needs to clean up. Memphis finding advantages with the pick-and-roll game that LA did clean up, but too late, but in a way that should carry over. And then the Lakers, with those small lineups, that swung the game, but they did figure out the rotation piece, and I'm going to be infuriated (laughs) if they they just kind of like unlearn what they should have learned. And they just continue to play small. But assuming they don't play small and they play Wenyan, I feel like we've got our fix here. I feel like through these 48 minutes of losing the game, the Lakers found the answers that if they had from the first minute of the game, they would have won the game with. So I anticipate moving into this game six at home. LA should shoot better. Memphis should shoot worse. Just looking at the three-point variance and who's taking the shots and the caliber of the shots. Expect LA to do better in that regard. Expect if they play Wenyan, them to do better on the offensive boards. Them to do better defensively with the small lineups. Them to do better offensively with the small lineups. 
them to defend Memphis's ball screens better just in general, defending the stack action, not playing show and recover on Bain. Like, they don't need to discover 14 things. They need to continue doing what they did last game and then tweak, like, the Tillman duck-in seals on ISOs and, and like, do a better job attacking post-help, which we've seen them do earlier in the series, earlier in the season. So they don't need to do anything brand new. They need to recall usage of things that they've done well in the past. Days ago, weeks ago, months ago. Um, for most of them, days ago. And they'll be in a good process. You know, they'll have the higher tactical ground. And AD getting going. That was nice to see. Not missing bunnies at the rim. He's gotten some good looks. He's finally hitting those. So that's exciting. He's continuing to be super disruptive at the rim. If the Lakers just tweak keeping him around the rim... That's going to be huge because that's just points saved left and right. So that's what I've got for you today. I am going to stop the recording. I'll stick around. And if anyone has questions, I see some questions in the chat. I will dig into those in a minute. But check us out for the games Friday and then for game seven potentially as well. Check us out on playback.tv slash Lakers watch party. The community has just grown and grown and grown. We've had over a thousand people in the stream over the past 30 days and it's, it's been really fun to see that community grow, new people get in there, new people discover us. So if you like what we're doing, share it. If if you want to see more fun dialogue on Twitter after these games, win or loss, share the content. It, you know, there's a, a lot of people that just, I don't know, they, they, they could, I, I think it could increase the uh, entertainment experience to, you know, <laughs> Listen to not Reggie Miller and, and whoever else is announcing. Um, so point people, are, point people our way, share the link, uh, get in there, have some fun with us. If you haven't tried it, it's a blast. The stream is synced up. We get to watch the game at the same time. The chat's synced up. We don't have people spoiling as you might have in other streams. Um, we manage that, moderate that pretty well. And uh, get in the Discord as well. I was in there a good bit today and talking through situations, talking through Bamba versus Gabriel and Vogel and Ham and next round and all sorts of different things talking nfl a little bit as well the draft starts tonight so get in there different tiers in there bonus pods at one level the x's and o's courses i was talking about at another level some bonus secret channels at other levels uh, i want to shout out friends of the podcast tj timotaji zach harris q daddio ipod shuffle miguel t shuttleworth omar roy abdul rahman Keneal mason doppel and romario all for living the high life with us in the owner's box as well to our courtside and lower bowl crews who support what we're doing if you want to get into that discord dm tom me or the podcast account which is not run by me uh johnny's doing a great job he's got some you know funny stuff going on over there but with the avatar being the same as mine i think people think i'm just tweeting from both and tweeting at myself no it's it's johnny um but go follow the pod account as well at lakers x pod or lakers sex pod and then if you want to join the uh we, we played off of that with the uh, lakers x mafia discord you can DM one of those three accounts, Tom, me or the pod, a five-star review of the pod, or check out the link in my bio. That has all the info on the different tiers, what you get at those different tiers. Super affordable stuff. You get a bunch of bonus content. I know for me this time of year, I just want content, 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 because the team is playing every other day. So there's always something to talk about, think about. Check that out. And uh, we will see you there. So I will see you for the game. Stop by the stream. Talk to you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.